0: Hey, don't be too good for whatever situation God puts you in. Don't be too good for that. If you just felt challenged and you weren't expecting it right off the
1: bat, you're in store for something good. That's my friend Robbie C. He's joined us today for an honest conversation. I hope it encourages you. Robbie, it is good to see you, my friend.
0: Yeah, you too, Daniel. You too, for sure. Thanks for having
1: me. Yeah, man. So take me back to the early days. Where did you grow up?
0: Man, I'm I'm, I'm a Texas guy. I've lived in Texas my whole life. We, we've tried to move out of Texas. And uh, Texans are super annoying. And we think that this is the only place to live. And until you visit Georgia or Florida. We go to Florida now. Like we try to go like three or four times a year because we're like, oh gosh, yeah, this is beautiful. But Texans are annoying, and we think this is some kind of promised land here, and so it it just has a hold on you. So I grew up in Houston, Houston, Texas, and I love Houston, Texas. I hate the things that everybody else hates about it. I hate the traffic. I hate the mosquitoes. um, I hate the humidity. God save us. Actually, today, Daniel, no kidding. Like I'm this jacket. Uh, can you see this jacket right here? I mean, this jacket has oh, yeah. been in my drawer. Yeah, no, this has been in my drawer since probably, I mean, probably March. First day out of the drawer because it's, it, it hit like 59 this morning. We're all freaking out. We're calling it winter and it's not <laughs> humid. So it's just, it's incredible. So I hate all the things everybody else hates about it. But man, I I love, this is like commercial for Houston, actually. This is what this just turned into. <laughs> but I I love, I love the food. I mean, that's what we do in Houston, man. We just eat. We just mm. eat we, and then we, we eat and then we drive, which is probably why we're like one of the, you know, I think we have like, we're the fattest city or something, some, some <laughs> kind of some kind of terrible, like whatever it is, you know, but I love the food. I love the culture. I love this city is, uh, it's the most diverse city in the United States. People go, no, no, that can't be right. And they look it up and it is, I mean, the, the world has, has come to Houston. So I just say all that to say, like, I grew up here. I love it here. Liz and I, we have five kids that we've. Uh, raised here and are, are raising right um and so uh i'm a texas guy through and through
1: when did you fall in love with music was it spurred on by a family member or was it just accidental
0: Man, we grew up around music. Um, I I don't know what, I'd love to to hear that. Actually, see, I'm used to interviewing people, man. I want to ask you because I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, Daniel, how did you, how did this happen for you? But for me, I grew up around music maybe you did too. I mean, it was just, it was in my home. We listened to a lot of music. My father was a worship, um, back then they called him music minister. That's what it was called. He wasn't a worship pastor, worship leader, but he was, he was a worship leader And, um, and my, he and my mom, uh, sang and mom played the piano. And then when we got older, they basically had us all singing together as a family. Dude, I hated that. I hated that. (laughs) Uh, I remember one time I spiked the microphone, like threw the microphone down. I didn't know. I was like, I was 10. By the way, you don't do that. All right. Uh, not, you don't do that in a, in a Southern minister's family. Uh, cause you get whooped, you get whooped. All right. So don't spike the microphones, just the lesson of that story, but I hate it. I loved music. I love singing, but I didn't like the family. Like we did, we used to do like family concerts.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> thank
0: God. Thank God. YouTube didn't exist. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like everybody could just film that and go put it. So man, it, it, but I look back on it and I, I actually, I, I just appreciate it so much. Cause I grew up around music was always in our home. We sang together. Um, and it was a big part of our lives. So yeah, man, it, it, it's, it's been, it's been in me and 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 i guess coming out of me now for a while
1: if you started doing music kind of if you'll forgive me for the reference as the gaithers like the texas version of the gaithers (laughs) when did you yourself decide hey i want to go sing songs kind of independently apart from your family
0: in high school i moved on from the gaithers to more of like we had a band and again, I'm just telling you right now, dude, like I I grew up in the, my, I graduated high school in the mid nineties. All right. So it's just, everybody's more like, how old is that dude? Okay. So mid nineties, graduated high school. Like, seriously, I, I just praise God that you couldn't come hear my little band. By the way, we were called Zion because that just sounded like legit. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we just opened our Bibles and just land. Oh, hey, Zion. I mean, that sounds like super, I don't know. Um, I digress, but. You couldn't just come see us and film us and put us on YouTube praise God for that like i, I and i'm I, in all seriousness you know high schoolers and you know college students nowadays my son's a musician he's in college incredible musician there's also we, we you know we're strict i didn't let him have uh Instagram and such till he was older in high school just because of the pressure as a musician to constantly be on and be awesome you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. and and you know this, man, you, you, first of all, you don't get awesome without being lousy for a long, long time. Yeah. You, you feel me? That's I mean, true. it's like you, you, you lock yourself in, in the rehearsal room and you go to town. And so, I mean, I, I grew up in, and, uh, but in high school we had a band. So I guess we moved on from the Gaithers to more like Zion rock band. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but we began to write songs. I mean, that's what I really wanted to say to you is like, man, we began to write songs that I didn't know about that, dude. I, I didn't know. I didn't, honestly, because I grew up in a church. I mean, we sang whatever songs were up there, but some hymns and some I don't know. I didn't know where these songs came from. I didn't know who wrote them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really know that that was still kind of a thing. And it meant it it really had a massive impact on me just personally. Like, wow, like I'm reading something in the word of God. I'm feeling something. God, the spirit is stirring in me and I I somehow get to write that. Now, these are lousy songs. I hadn't sung any of those songs for 20 years, but that really began to change the trajectory of like, wait a second, did, man, this is something that that I feel like God may may be doing in me and through me, and I should probably check this out, at least give it a shot.
1: I heard of you when you were on your independent band phase and you would tour to cities like Carrollton, Georgia, and you would play at university and do the university shows. Like I remember digesting your music early on then. How did you start writing music and and traveling, especially like a band? That's a, a whole different dynamic that requires more money and friends to come along and say, sure, we'll do this for the summer.
0: I only say, I don't know, not in some way that's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Just it really just in a way that I'm not sure we even knew back then. And and just like a lot of people who get to share music beyond their hometowns, I'm not even sure we knew that there was like a formula for that or like, OK, this is what we have to do. And especially not being signed to a record label. My first two albums were not part of a, a, a record label. So there was a spirit of. Man, if we can create this music on our own, surely we can get out there and play it for anybody that would listen. And I don't know if this is what you were asking, but I, I would just say when I when I encounter young musicians and my young musician, my 18-year-old, who is a crazy great musician, I mean, I tell him this a lot. Hey, don't be too good for whatever situation God puts you in. Don't be too good for that. Don't feel like somehow you're beyond some opportunity to use your your gifting and and this gift God's giving you to to bless somebody, to bring God glory, to put some new art in the world that would then propel somebody's heart towards the Creator. You know, uh, don't be too good for that. And there was a sense like that, especially back back then, for me. Of by the way, I so I, I went to Baylor University in Texas. i I've, uh, you know I was driving up to Baylor my senior year in high school. And we were leading, I was leading worship with some college students. One of them named was David Crowder. This dude was weird. I'm like, who is this guy? This dude is a trip. But one of the things that I learned, especially my freshman year in college is, oh, you want to do this? Oh, you want to lead worship? Well, you got to get your butt out of bed at 5.30 a.m. and go set up a sound system because that's what we do. And for two and a half years in school, he picked me up in his little uh, red Honda Accord and we would set up the sound system for our church, and then we would lead worship at 10 a.m. and then we'd tear down for another hour and a half. That's what we did. That what that does, though. And I, man, I try to say this to young uh, musicians and artists all the time: don't be too good for the situation, and get yourself get your hands dirty, get your hands dirty. Part of that, you know, you're asking me about traveling and all that stuff. I mean, you, I mean, you know, man, it, there is nothing glamorous about being in a van and driving from Texas to Georgia or Texas to California or wherever else. Why do you do that? Well, you do it either because you hope it brings you glory and there's probably plenty of moments I did hope it brought me some glory. But man, you do that in, in, in the more, hopefully, more pure moments. You go, man, this is such a gift. Like, I, I want I want to be able to share this if God would allow me to share it. The long answer to the question is, man, I, I don't know how exactly all that happens. I just know that if God's given you a gift, and I'm talking to whoever's, you know, listen, God's given you a a gift and a passion, get your hands dirty, honor Him with it, and don't be too too big for any situation, which means, you know, you play for 10 people or you play for 10,000 people or anywhere in between and stop worrying too much about that and get out there and enjoy it. And uh, I think if we'll do that even today, in today's climate, maybe, you know, past coronavirus, because none of us are really uh, yeah. playing a lot of live music. Right. But um, I think yeah. that um, it, it, it'll set us down that path for sure.
1: Man, that's amazing. And it actually that explains a lot, because years ago I saw you on tour in Athens, Georgia with David Crowder. And now it's making more sense that y'all had been connected since early days at 5 a.m., getting up, doing the sound system that you would just naturally tour together.
0: Yeah. You know, that tour specifically, it was a very special tour to me because we were longtime friends. Our friend Shane and Shane were on that tour and they were, they were also longtime friends. And we all, I, I met Shane at, I met Crowder at 17 and the Shane's at, at 19 and we, I'll be with Shane, uh, the, both of them on Monday. I, I, my, so our lives have been in, in intertwined for many years and that tour was a, Just a real, you know, some of my greatest memories that night specifically in Athens, I believe it was, it was either Halloween or it was the night before Halloween, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. And, you know, when I say that Crowder and I used to set up a sound system, man, that was for a church that we were a part of. And the pastor of that church was killed in the church just a few days prior to the concert you just referenced. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: we all left that concert that night and got on a plane and flew back to Texas for a funeral. So you know I don't remember every concert but I remember Athens Georgia October oh, let's see I don't remember what year that that would have been but that that night will never um it was a very emotional night for David for I and and like anybody who's lost a dear friend but especially a pastor um that's a night I won't forget actually so it's amazing that you were there
1: it was amazing so much talent so much diversity and none of your music sounded the same and to me that really stood out i know that these days, the church world, Mm. senior pastors like to use these terms like congregational songs and worship music, but I believe art looks wildly different for everyone. And so I'm curious to you who is now a pastor who studies theology and liturgy, what is the whole thought process that you go into when you think of worship music?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate the question, and, and it has a bunch of different facets to it. So I'll try not to be too long winded on this, but it is something that I give a lot of time and energy to, not only for my local church, but for the capital C church. Uh, and, and there's a bunch of aspects. So I'll just start with the obvious one, which is just the art form itself. Um, I mean, I, I was at a, a gathering, this was years ago and couldn't be more relevant to 2020, but it was a gathering centered on racial reconciliation inside the church. And it was put on by uh, African-American pastors. It was put on by white pastors, Asian-American pastor, who's a friend of mine. It was an amazing gathering. And I'll never forget what one of the the conveners said at that gathering. He said, and again, I'm I'm talking now specifically to the the artistic side or to the the art form or the expression. But he just said, if you are in a gathering uh, consistently at your church, And you are constantly feeling like all of the songs or art form. I mean, again, I say songs, but whether it be, you know, visual arts or whatever it is, all of it suits your taste buds. It's all it's it's -hmm. perfect for your palate, all of it. Well, you may really enjoy that. But what that probably means is you're going to look around and see a room filled with people who look just like you. Because. The art form is so homogenous and so aimed at one group of people or one, one flavor. And again, you may really like it; it's gonna taste good. Like I, I love steak; give me steak every night, right? And it's like, but um, you know, steak every night of the year probably not a great idea. Let's switch this thing up so that we can bite some. Well, let's enjoy and feast on some. He just said, if you look around and see that, he said the 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 answer to that is that you would be in your gathering. And man, you might have a song like, dude, I connect with that song. I love that song. I know that song. Next song, different, maybe a little different style, a little different. I don't know the history of that song. Well, where that song come from? What is that song? That has a little more gospel flair to it. I don't know about that. Well, you're going to look around and you're going to see some people where that song is connecting with them. It's this idea that on the very surface level, our worship music, it can be homogenous. I mean, it can be stagnant and aimed at a specific group of people. So that's just style. Let's talk about substance. So what, what, is, what is actually worship music? And this is where I just, I mean, I have a strong passion for this because when I first signed a record deal, signed, by the way, the people who worked at my record label loved Jesus. They were amazing people. They were incredible businessmen and women, and I respect them to this day. But one of the things that we struggled with, which is a good struggle, right? When you when you have artist and label or artist and when art and commerce collide, there's gonna be a struggle, by the way. Just FYI, all you artists out there. When it hits commerce, when it, when you start talking economics, there's gonna be a tug of war. Part of that tug-of-war for me was there was a lot of pushback on albums that I would turn in that had songs about my wife, about Jesus, about loss. I got I got a friend who died of cancer. I got to write about that. Two songs on that record. And they would say, man, we, we think these are good songs. We don't know that this is a worship record. And what they were saying was, Daniel, was, we don't know that the content that you've just put in here is worship music. I understood what they were saying, and I'm not a dummy. I mean, there are songs that are better suited for a corporate setting. They're just songs that are more singable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I got... I got a lot of good friends who know how to write singable songs. And I, I'm like, man, I, how come I didn't write that, dadgummit? So I get it. There's also this idea that we may be missing out on a lot of aspects of our humanity and then God's response to us. And, and we may be missing out on some of God's sovereignty. So that's what we see in the Psalms, by the way. I mean, the Psalms, you know, John Calvin, he's, he's famous. You don't have to be a Calvinist to appreciate this, by the way. Like John Calvin says, You know, when he looks at the Psalms, it's like a mirror. I mean, he's looking into the Psalms. It's reflecting back everything he feels, all of his sin, all of his brokenness, all of his joy and his salvation, his highs, lows, all of it's reflected in the Psalms. And I would just say my, my point in saying all that is when we gather as God's people, are we reflecting all of our humanity and all of God's sovereignty? I mean, are are we being honest or are do we just have a little s- small slice here? And so when you ask about worship music, well, how's that been defined? And I, mean, I just get passionate because I just tend to think me loving my wife and that woman loving me, even though she knows me and knows I'm, I'm a sinner in need of saving every day. And just, you know, she's sticking with me through all highs and lows. And I'm going to write about that kind of love. Well, that's not a, that ain't no worldly love, man. I mean, that's a. That's a, that's Ephesians that's Ephesians 5 love. I mean, we're laying down our lives for one another. That feels worshipful to me. When my friend passes from cancer or when I go to the funeral of a dear friend who's having to bury her son who was shot to death on the streets of Houston, I'm going to I'm going to write a song called Lament and we're going to put that on the record because I see that in the Bible and I I I want to give voice to God's people in worship, yes. But it's not going to be packaged up neatly. Like sometimes we tend to think of worship music. So a passion about that, not only in, in style, not only in the artistic form, but also in substance.
1: What would you say to a worship leader who has written a variety of songs that incorporate God and love, but it's not necessarily what the church right now thinks is corporate worship? How would you encourage that person to create, keep creating even in the midst of obstacles, be it the pastor doesn't really want it sung on Sunday morning yet it's inside of them. And they keep writing these songs, but they don't know what to do with them.
0: It's a good question. And, and, and please hear me. You know, my suggestion is not that every song that I've ever written is appropriate for a Sunday morning gathering. Some songs that I have written, I think that are maybe didn't. So there are a few of those songs, right? And so I would just say to, to songwriters who are believers, who are also great artists, but, and by the way, there's another point of tension in wrestling. I, you know, that's something that also will have a tug of war you know uh i love the lord and i belong to a local church and yet god's man i got this desire to create which i think is a, is a is a, a holy desire i mean that that's the spirit of god saying i've i've made you to cre- to be a co-create create honor me glorify me with your with your creation and so we're not the creator capital c but because we abide with him he's inviting us in then to make that offering A lot of songwriters and a lot of artists who are believers tend to think that they have to choose. I mean, they, they tend to think they got to choose. I either got to go this way and write songs that are like, you know, maybe, that's, maybe they don't feel it's as good or as rich or as deep or as honest or as whatever, but it will be corporate. It will be something that my church can grab a hold of. And I just got to go that way or forget that. I'll never have a connection to that. I'm going over here. I'm an artist. I'm gonna be able to be creative. I can. I have a free mind and a free heart, and I'm gonna go for it. And I don't even care about the corporate gathering. And I just would say, man, don't do that. Hold them both. Let them pull on each other, and you'll find yourself over here sometimes, and you'll find yourself over here sometimes. Last thing I'll say on that is this: man, we we need we need believers. Who are taking their art seriously without compromising their faith in Jesus. I mean, we need that desperately. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And if somebody's telling you that, you may need to, to pull away from that voice and listen to some other voices, or maybe listen to ours today and just say, I think there's a I think there's a better way there. We need honesty. And that's why I just say, Daniel, look, I mean, you know, where's my Bible? My Bible's in my I mean, you go to the Psalms. And you just go, inform me, word of God, inform me as a songwriter and as a worship leader. And guess what? It will inform you 150 times. It will show you, this is this is the way to go. This is how to write. This is how to live as a believer and then put these prayers on your lips. And then guess what? You get to invite others to pray those prayers. I, the word of God informs us. And I think too many of us Shy away from that. And so we're listening to all these voices. And man, so maybe even better than listening to my voice today is just, yeah, listen to the word of God. Read the Psalms. You know, Tim Keller, I don't know if it, Tim Keller is a great his, uh, theologian, pastor. He reads the Psalms every month. He's done so for 25 years. Every month. Because a theologian that he respected, Eugene Peterson, said, Hey, you can't be a serious theologian without really knowing the Psalms. You just can't. All right. So get into the Psalms. So Tim Keller's like, All right, I'm going to every month. Right, and I just say, we got a bunch of songwriters in the church who they don't they don't know Jack about the psalms, and that was me six, seven years ago i didn't know i didn't know I didn't know nearly enough i I knew psalm twenty three and I knew psalm forty two one fifty I knew the psalms were all supposed to know, but I didn't know how that might inform me as a songwriter and a worship leader, all right, so I'm passionate about that I'll stop preaching all right
1: <laughs> no preach away i I'm now curious, since you were passionate about the Psalms, is
0: that when you started writing the Psalm records? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. I mean, I, I, I was in a conversation with somebody who said, well, you know, the Psalms. I mean, you're a worship leader and a songwriter. You write songs for the church and you write songs about God. I mean, you know, the Psalms. And I just remember that moment feeling six inches tall, you know, just so tiny. Cause I just like, man, I don't, not really. I mean, I know the Psalms kind of like all of us generally knew the Psalms, right? They didn't inform my prayer life mm-hmm. and they should just as a believer. I mean, if I go mute tomorrow and can't write a song ever again, sing a song ever again, they still inform how I pray. I mean, that's that's what the Psalms do, right, Daniel? I mean, mm-hmm. they, tell us, they tell us how to pray, they show us how to pray. But then as a songwriter and a worship leader, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I mean, a third of the Psalms, nearly a third, are laments. Jesus cried out from the cross two of those laments, Psalm 22, Psalm 31. I mean, he knew those Psalms by heart, actually probably memorized most, if not all of them, thought to believe that his family would have had a copy of the Psalter, potentially. A lot of Jewish families would have, maybe not the entire Torah, but maybe a copy of the Psalter. So he's crying these prayers out loud, but somehow you and I well, uh, you know, we worship music is this lane right here. Don't don't go off into those spots. And I just go, man, whew, we are, <laughs> we're, we're missing it. So yeah, six or seven years ago, I mean, as we started to think through, pray through, study the Psalms, that's where I just thought, we ought to spend some time singing them and, um, and, and recording them, which is when we did that.
1: Psalm 134 sticks out to me. It always sticks out to me because it's got a nice little groove to it. Kind of sounds like, What could potentially be the opening song and a worship set, you know, if the pastor wants it, we start up tempo and then we move through the feelings and the emotions of the day. And so
0: specifically that psalm
1: was it hard for you to write? Was it easy for you to write? What did the writing process look like for you?
0: When we write Psalms, it's either association or memorization, right? I mean, so if you're writing word for word, you're trying to memorize the word of God, which is a beautiful thing. If it's association, it's a spark. It's a seed that's planted and you go, man, I hear that. I want to I run to that Psalm and feast on it, but it may not be word for word in the Psalm. You got me? So Psalm 134, almost word for word, uh, honestly, what what we sang. And it's one of the shortest Psalms, uh, which I like. You know, it's not Psalm uh, 119. That's you just got like, I don't even know what is it, like 200 verses or something. No, Psalm, Psalm 134 is short. By the way, this wraps up the Psalms of Ascent. I don't know if there's anybody else that cares about this, but this is so awesome. Psalms of Ascent, 14 of these Psalms, 120 to 134, these are Psalms that are sung out loud by God's people as they're marching to Jerusalem. If you've been to Jerusalem, it sits up on a hill. You march up. Yeah, you've been, you march upward. And so they weren't marching in silence. I mean, they were going through these Psalms. I would imagine they were just going round and round in these Psalms. So this was the last one. I imagine it always as the as the rowdy the rowdiest of these psalms. I mean, I imagine drums are banging, they're screaming. And these are thousands of people. So they're, they're screaming these, chanting these maybe, but here's what it says. And again, it says uh, in the heading, a song of ascents. And that just means these psalms of ascent that people would sing. It says, come bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless his name. I love that. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless his name. Bless the Lord and may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134.
1: There are a lot of things that people can want. There are a lot of things that artists want, specifically musical artists. A lot of us... Want to write songs that matter, songs that people can sing, songs that we hear a crowd sing back. Other people who are artists want to be signed to a record label and have the chance to go through the process of making money that way, having radio like pitch singles, that kind of thing. What was it like for you to transition from being an independent artist with your band to, man, a record label wants to sign us. Let's go out here and sign this deal and see what happens.
0: It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Most enjoyable things of that season of my life were just working with incredibly gifted people, people that we worked with at the label, people that we partnered with on producing the albums, people that I wrote, got to write songs with, uh, the people, that was the best part. The worst part was, I look back on it now, and probably 60% of what we did, I felt like was honest. I mean, honest in the sense, I mean, we, we weren't like embezzling money or nothing like that, right? So, I mean, honest, artistically speaking and i feel like there's a solid 40% that we probably that i just felt and i, I don't i don't blame anybody else for me just probably feel some pressure you know to uh, to live up to people's expectations or to write in a certain way or do a certain thing and and so if i would have gone back and if i was able to do it differently i might i might change some of that i think i would probably lean into a little more of some of the things that we've discussed already on this uh on this interview man just just am I writing from an honest place? Am I writing from my heart, from the word of God and from the experiences that I'm, I have with the Lord, both good and bad? And so uh, I got some regrets, but I'd say for the most part, man, get the, the people, uh, the people, that's what, I've, that's what I've taken away from that. Just huge respect. I'm going to write with a guy next month who I haven't written with in probably eight or nine years. Very successful Nashville songwriter. And uh, anytime I get the chance to write with somebody like that, I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> Like, how am I? How am I right with you? And so I'm, I'm appreciative for the people. Some things i do different, yeah, but uh, for the most part, it was fun.
1: And when you get the phone call that, man, radio has really picked up the single and it's doing well, or you get a phone call and they say someone on TV or some show on TV wants to play your song. Can you take me back to the actual emotion that you felt when that happened?
0: Well, it's funny that you ask that cuz the Lord has ways of humbling you in those things, right? So, some of those moments, uh, we had several songs on TV, we had several songs at radio that did did well. Some of those moments were just fun. I grew up in the day of radio. Like my kids we occasionally listen to the radio in car, but they don't in the car, but they don't even know what that is really. They're like, "How does this what is this?" You know, they make they make their own radio on Spotify. I mean, so, but in my day, back in my day as an old dude, uh, radio was, I mean, it, it was a big deal. And there's some still amazing radio stations to this day. I'm not trying to discount that, but just hearing your song on the radio was a big deal. And like I said, I grew up in Houston. So like, I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't know Jack about any of the other radio stations in Atlanta, in LA, in Chicago. I like, I knew Houston. So when I heard my song on the Houston radio, like I went nuts. Like we danced around the, we thought, oh my God, we're so big time. You know, we didn't realize that it was pretty much just Houston that played that song. (laughs) That song really did not do well at radio, but it did in Houston. And we thought we were such uh, big shots. And so I I remember too, we, we had a song that was featured on American Idol for like two or three months on, it was five different commercials. They all featured our song. It was amazing. We freaked out. But we you would think somebody would tell you that that's going to happen. My ex-girlfriend from eighth grade she is the one. she is the one who messaged <laughs> us on Facebook and said, "I think I might have just heard not sure, not sure if it's your song sounded like you on TV. That's how you find out. That's not very glamorous, and this is the last story I'll tell you. We're feeling big time. Hey we're on TV, man, like we're on TV. We think we're just big stuff. We got, a, we did get an email that said, hey, you are going to be, Oprah Winfrey had a show. I don't remember what it was called exactly, but it wasn't like her show. I mean, yeah, Oprah Winfrey had a show, right? <laughs> not, not the Oprah show. She had some kind of show on ABC. I don't remember what exactly it was. And they get highlighted generosity, giving, that kind of thing, kind of heroes of the community kind of thing. And the email said, our song New Day is going to be on that show. We're pumped, man. We're like, dude, let's let's go. We invited people over to the house. We got hors d'oeuvres, man. We got we got beverages. We're partying because look at us, dude. We're on TV. Well, we watched the show. There is a song called New Day that played on the show. That wasn't my song.
1: Oh man.
0: <laughs> and so I mean, I've got friends and family. I'm feeling like I hey I'm 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 a big deal. And they're like, that's not you, by the way. like why did you tell us you were <laughs> <laughs> And so, man, I just say all that to say like that really, I mean honest, honest to God, from that day forward, there's not a lot of news, good or bad that I get too high or low about, and you just go, man, God knows what he's doing. If a song's going to be on something and it blesses somebody. Cool. I, I will say one more thing. We had we had a song called "Shine Your Light on Us." It's it's one of my personal favorites. If you can have a favorite of your own, you know, songs or whatever. If that's not weird, but I, I do enjoy I, that song. Means a lot to me personally. That song was featured on a a show at the time that was huge with high school students, and it was not a show that I would ever let my kids watch. To be honest with you, <laughs> so you're like, that's kind of weird. Like, and so it was kind of like, man, that's cool, but that's not really a show that's. Yeah, you know, I don't really know. Well, the the show ended up being about suicide and they played the entire song. I mean, sometimes you have mm-hmm. a, a song on something, Daniel, and they play like 10 seconds. I mean, it's barely audible. They played the entire mm-hmm. song at full volume with no talking over it because it was kind of like a montage thing or something. And we got tons of emails from people who, uh, high schoolers mainly, and college students, I guess, who were struggling. With suicide, they wanted to know where they could buy the song. They wanted to know why the song was written. Of course, man, the song is "Oh my God, shine your light on us, that we would live." And so we get to say, "Look, man, God is not only just shining light on us in a general sense; the light of the world has come in Jesus, and now is shining through those who believe." And I know that sounds crazy to you, high school student who's thinking about taking your own life. I mean, so some of those deals, man, they they actually some of them are humbling. And some of them turn into something way more than just some weird show playing a song.
1: So I happen to know that you care about more than just that song, even though that song is amazing and that song has done wonderful things for people who struggle with depression and mental illness. I know you care about a song called Home. And why exactly is yeah, it, no, it that song? song's it, it is
0: Again, uh, it, it's a song that has meant a lot to me. I love to play that song. And um, it's not a popular song of mine. So like a lot of people just, I mean, we we uh, would open a lot of concerts with it in the last four or five years, but not a lot of people know it. It means a lot to me for a few reasons. Um, one of which is to say, um, well, the, the first line is, um, I don't want to live for the rich. And I don't want to live for me, a rich man who's come here to confess my sin. And I'm not suggesting that I'm rich in in terms of um, American standards, but I am. we we all are pretty wealthy in terms of the world. You start traveling the world and you just go, Mm dadgummit, man. We're we're considered rich people. And a lot of us are slaves to it, including me. Mm -hmm. I mean, just slaves, even, you know, some of the things I've thought about today, just like, how can I get this? How can we go on this vacation? Whatever it is, you know? We can be slaves to it. Um, And so that's a powerful thing to sing. The next line is, um, I don't want to live uh, for the politics, the politics of man, uh, for the hope that we seek is never found in a politician. And that's also a pretty powerful thing to say and a pretty compelling thing to say, at least for me, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) because a lot
0: of us put our hope in politics. We put our hope Mm -hmm. in leaders, put our hope in people. And, uh, I mean, I think hopefully we've learned a lesson and that ain't, that ain't gonna fly. That, that ain't gonna work. And what's crazy about mm-hmm. that, man? I was just telling a friend this at lunch yesterday about that song. Cause he mentioned that song to me. And I said, man, when I wrote that song, it was a year after president Obama was in office. So it's 2009. When I wrote it, the song was recorded in 2010, released in 2011, I guess that kind of time period. I don't know exactly. It was so crazy though, man, because, um, I got emails f- from people who supported President Bush, who thought I was singing about President Obama, and then I got people who supported President Obama mm. who thought I was somehow saying, thing about, saying something about President Bush, and I had to reply to all of them, just be like, "Hey, <laughs> that's that song. That song ain't about either of them specifically. Um, you know, it's too." Two mm-hmm. good presidents, mm-hmm. two, two men who love their families, who I have respect for as, as leaders and former presidents. Uh, so it's not to discount them. But that song is not about a party mm-hmm. or a person or a politician. That song is, is broader than that to say, hey, you start putting, your, you start putting all your eggs in that basket. It's going to hurt you. And so when you ask about that song, I and mean, those are the two things that come to mind. And then the song goes on just to say, I want to live for the king. I want my life to be lived for the King because I try to live it for other stuff and it work. It doesn't work. And, uh, and I, you know, I've been around a little while, man. Like I've had some successes and some failures. I've got a great family. I got a beautiful wife. I got some of the things that you're supposed to check off your box as successful, whatever it is. And I can just say, all that stuff's great as gifts from God, but it ain't the giver. It it is. It doesn't even come close to the one who gives those gifts. I want to live for the king. So when I sing that song, more than any other song I think that I've written, maybe, at least close, uh, it it means a great deal to me.
1: Mm. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about one more. The song Stay. What about that song resonates so deeply with you?
0: Okay, here's what's ironic about that is the song Stay, the one that when I hear you ask me that is, because here's what's crazy. I've had two songs called Stay. You're not supposed to do that, by the way. So if you're writing songs out there, don't title the same song. That doesn't make any sense. I don't even know how that happened. It's like we forgot that we had a song called Stay. And then we wrote another song. Well, I think we're just dumb. I think we're just dumb. Like somebody just didn't have the heart to say, excuse me, you already have a song called that? How do you not even remember your own songs? It's kind of like my wife who says like, how do you forget the lyrics to your own song? And I'm like, I don't know. Like sometimes those are the hardest songs to remember, which doesn't make any sense. So anyway, we got two songs called Stay because we're just dumb and we don't have better titles. Uh, this, there is a song called Stay on the Give Yourself Away record that again, man, it's, it's crazy because that's, that's not a song that people you know, message me and go, hey, I love that song. It's not a favorite of people. It is kind of a favorite of mine. I, I like, I love that song. And um, man, on, honestly, there is a there is a, a moment when you follow Jesus. So if if you're watching this and you're not a Jesus follower, first of all, come on, I invite you in. Like, and if you are, there is a moment where you sense that maybe um, God's not going to stick around. That you're going to do something, or you somehow got to earn this deal, or you got to have a report card that passes. Otherwise, God's going to somehow expel you from his presence. And that just ain't in the Bible. And that does play into this song. There are also moments when you're in a relationship. Uh, man, I don't care if you got a best friend. If you're single, you got a best friend or, you know, you're a parent or if you're married, a spouse, there is a moment where you feel like somebody ain't going to stick around, that you're going to do something or somehow push them away. That also plays into the lyrics of that song. And, um, and so, man, that's, that's like personal stuff. When you start singing about those things. And I guess that's why if you ask me like, you got favorites, you got songs you love to sing. I mean, when they start getting personal like that, um, I need to sing those. I need those reminders. That God ain't, God ain't just waiting for you to mess up and somehow expel you. That's not the gospel. Man, you you're saved by faith alone, by His grace alone. And so, there ain't nothing you're gonna do. And then that's supposed to carry over into our relationships, man. I'm supposed to offer you the grace. You're supposed to offer me grace. Like, dude, who are we? We've been forgiven. That ain't how we. That's how We. That's not how we're gonna roll here. And by the way, man, just I, I appreciate you asking me on. I appreciate you um chatting with me. Man, I I want I want more of that grace extended uh in, in the country right now. I mean, believers ought to be the grace givers right now. And let's stop acting like politics or these politicians speak for us, man. Let's, let's, be, let's be some grace givers, man. Let's be some grace givers to one another. And uh, and so I hope that encourages some people today as they're listening.
1: Yeah. So We've talked about your records, we've talked about uh, where you grew up, your family, all that kind of stuff. Um, who are you now? Because now you are not the same person that was on the road uh, 200 dates a year, doing tour stops everywhere, with a, in a van, and like with four or five other people. God knows what that looks like. You're not that person now. Who, who is Robbie C. today? <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna be in Dallas next week recording, and and I had a buddy. who's like, man, just crash on my couch. You can just crash on my couch. And I'm like, dude, man, I, I ain't I ain't 20 anymore. I, and I if I crash on your couch, my back will hurt. All right. So and this this dude's like 28. He's like, what, man? Just just come crank It's so, like, no, I'm not the same. I ain't the same guy. I'm like, dude, I'm getting I'm getting a, a sweet hotel room. Not because I need to stay in some swanky hotel. I need a good bed. All right. I need a good bed. That's all there is to it. You know, honestly though, man, uh, um, man, I heard a message two days ago that just talked about what is your primary identity? And I was like, primary, like primary, secondary, but it the way that this was, is your primary identity as a son and a daughter for, for women, um, or are, are you, what else is defining you that would be greater than that, man? And there, I'm at a place in life where I just am resting in that. And it ain't because I did something. I mean, it ain't because I had some career or still have a career or still doing this or look at me, this happened to me. I mean, I think it's actually in spite of a lot of those things, honestly, because those things just don't get you. They, they don't earn what you think they're gonna earn you. And so who am I now? Gosh, <laughs> that's a great question, man. But I am, uh, man. That, I want that to be my primary identity, and sometimes I forget that. I'm also, man. I, I'm a father. I got five kids, dude. And they're some are older. Uh, they got passions all over the board. They got music, art, uh, sports. I got a 14 year old basketball player. I got a, a, a junior in in high school. She's a volleyball player. I got a daughter who plays piano. I got a son who's just a crazy musician and I'm like this is nuts man. Like this is awesome. And uh I want to uh, I I I want to devote my time and energy to this. I've been married to the same woman for 22 years, bro. And I and I I'm not just this ain't no cheesy talk. Like you you hey by the way, you go through something with a lady? Fellas you watch, you go through something with a lady and you come out on the other side, that is that's where you're going to find out like, you know, she's something special. I mean, for real. Uh it's special in the beginning, but you start going through stuff, you start losing, you have loss, you start, you, you know, she finds out who you really are, you know, uh, she's living with you, you're like, she's like, wait a second, uh, you're, not, you're not near as good as I thought you were, um, and she sticks with you. So man, who am I? Father, husband to Liz, and, um, and so I rest in that. What's cool, though, Dan, last thing I'll say, man, what's cool in that is music now, instead of really defining me, because I think I, I think I did let it define me or be a primary identity in some situations. Now, music is just a beautiful uh, vehicle for me to, to have all of that come out. That's why I get excited when you ask me that. Because mm-hmm. now music mm-hmm. is just this chance to overflow who I truly am in the Lord, who I am in this household as a husband, as a father, who I am as I serve my church. And, uh, you know, I, I, every day I need the grace of God. Every day uh, I, I have sin that I need to confess to, to to God and to man. But, man, my primary identity, redeemed, saved, son of God. And so now music just to get, gets to be a chance that I get to declare that. And when we're going through stuff, I get to also declare that, too. I mean, that's the other thing. That's kind of what we've talked about in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciate the question. Man, who am I today? It's yeah. a great question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, a couple more questions before I let you go. If the version of Robbie C now could go back in time and speak to his younger self, the guy that was writing songs, traveling with a band, what would you actually say to that person with all that you know of life experience, with the business world and how commerce meets the art, all that stuff, the theological things, going through things with your wife and your family, what would the wiser, more mature version of Robbie C. tell his younger self?
0: Ooh. And you can take as much time as you want. Like it's- yeah, that's a book. I'm going to write a book on that, dude. I'm going to tell, my uh, <laughs> tell myself all sorts of stuff because um, I tell myself all sorts of stuff. I read a book. by. It was, an, it was a biography of Billy Graham. It wasn't an autobiography. It was a biography of, of Billy Graham. Huge book. I don't remember the title of it, but I think it's the you know kind of the whatever the the certified biography or the whatever they call that the you know the the one that approved biography. And so, um, but one of the things he says at the end of the book is because because the, the question was for him similar question like what would you do different like what would you go back and and he said I'd I'd stay home more. I never forgot that. Cause I'm like this dude. I mean, like literally, like millions of people came to know Christ because of this guy. He proclaimed the gospel to millions of people around the globe, and he's like, "I'd stay home more. My kids didn't know me, and I didn't get enough time with them, and it caused some hurt and some wounds in them that I regret, and that was on me. And so I'd stay home more. I that like I, I just about fell out of my chair because I ain't I ain't no Billy Graham, but somehow I'm acting like it, thinking that the you know the world needs me to. To do this, or be this, or go here, or go there, and yeah, there's some opportunities that God puts in front of us. Of course, I mean, there's opportunities times to say yes, but I would go back and say, hey, be cautious. Don't be trying to say yes to everything and be somebody's hero. Um, stay home and love your wife and love on your kids a little bit more. Um, it doesn't mean you do not mean you can't go anywhere. I mean, you, you know, you can't doesn't mean you can't say yes, but chill out a little bit. And I, 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 I luckily I learned that before it was too late. And the times that I've gotten with my family over the last decade, really, um, I wouldn't trade for any opportunity, anywhere, anytime. And so that always stuck with me. I think the second thing that I would say to myself and what I say to you, and, 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 and especially as we get to talk to young leaders, I would say, get into the word of God. Get into the word of God. If you, any of us who call ourselves Christians, God is... God gave us His word and these are God's words spoken to us. And yet for me, growing up, I I, I just I, I kind of skimmed the surface uh, you know like a like a speedboat, right? I mean, you're just hauling on the surface. And I think God's calling us to just go straight up, you know, submarine. like we're we are to be submerged in the Word of God and it changes your life. It changes your life as a believer and it changes your it changes my life. It's what it's what we've already said, Daniel. I mean, we it changes my life also as a songwriter and as a an artist, as a musician, and as somebody who pastors people. And so, get into the Word of God. So, if you're a young leader, man, don't don't feel like you're having to choose between some kind of life of artistic expression in the word of God. Let those things go hand in hand, be intertwined. I promise you, you will be better for it and the kingdom of God will be better for it. And so, yeah, I mean, those two things, I think more than anything, I'd be screaming into a megaphone to the 20 year old version of me.
1: Hmm. As someone who has done a variety of different things surrounded by, uh, church and music and theology from uh playing live music to having the ability to write to having songs on the radio and tv how did you get led to the church that you're at and the role that you are currently in serving there
0: i had a dear friend years ago who said to me uh, i was on a tour And they do live in Nashville, but this is not a Nashville indictment because I know some amazing churches in Nashville and people who serve there and also serve elsewhere. So this is not a Nashville thing, but he lived in Nashville. And he said to me, um, I I, I love Jesus. I just don't, I don't love the church. I can't, I just can't do the church thing, man. And this is a believer, a leader. And I just remember like, I just thought, man, and I think at the time I was like, can you disconnect? I actually was asking, can you disconnect those two? And I think when you read the word of God, it's you you just you cannot. It is the primary vehicle for which the gospel goes forth. It is the it is it is mandated to us to not try to live this life alone. And also, I think artists, especially, artists struggle, man, because they're they're typically not known and they don't know a lot of others. They really wrestle with that because to be great at art means you 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 focused on yourself. Not in a not in a not in a bad way but to be great at art means you better spend some time on yourself and on your craft and so artists really struggle with the idea of community um mainly because it's a you know that's a that's a byproduct of of being great at what you do and so we need to remind artists all the time like hey get in be known i tell my son this he's a killer guitar player hey ethan that's awesome but being have people that know you not just because you're a good guitar player. Have people that may not even know that you're a good guitar player because your connection to them is beyond music. If you don't ever have that, you will live in some fantasy world bubble and it will burst on you. It will burst on you. And and so, uh, you know, how do we end up at the... I've had the... I say all that to say, I've had the luxury, honestly, of not just serving at a church, but I, I do a lot of other things. So, I mean... Liz always says, what do you got, like four jobs? I'm like, it feels like it sometimes. Um, but what that has meant for us is that we've been able to, in many seasons is to serve at a church and then to not. <laughs> I mean, So uh, a few years ago, we just decided, you know what? We don't need to be serving at a church right now. There was a church in our area that some of my friends planted, and we just said, let's go be a part of that smaller. Man, it's gospel-centered, man. They're just like taking the word of God and just like ringing it out and uh, and they're loving and loving each loving one another and sharing it with neighbors and, and so we just said let's go to that church let's have people in our home we have a, a what we call MC that meets right around the corner. I'm in my house like right here in my house and we study the word of God together pray together, eat good food together and um, that is huge for us man. and so how did I end up in my church is because we needed that now do I serve in my church now yeah, I do serve in some capacities where I can be helpful to our pastors I preach some lead worship some but we ended up there because we felt God's leading us there and we needed to be known and know others apart from what I do for a living. Um, And so for you, for anybody listening, and and, you know, I know we got to run. This will probably be the last thing, but um, uh, more than anything that you're going to offer the kingdom of God, make sure that people know you beyond that offering. I mean, preachers struggle with this, bro. I mean, big time. Like preachers... You know, they offer the the amazing uh, gifting to preach and to dissect the word and then to to show us what God's saying in the word. But sometimes people don't know them apart from that gifting, apart from that offering. And uh, they're not known. They don't know others. And so, man, they wrestle with loneliness. They wrestle with isolation. They wrestle with uh, either pride or insecurity. And, And musicians and artists, are you kidding me? That's just like times 10. So know others be known apart from your gifting that's what liz and i needed big time we found that at our church and i pray the same for anybody else who's listening
1: Robbie, thank you for your time man that that last bit hey it was worth it that's all that's all i gotta say i I know a lot of artists i know a lot of creatives who have not found the language to describe that place and so from my heart to yours deeply deeply thank you for being on today man i really really appreciate it i
0: enjoyed it bless you daniel thank you man
1: you too man talk soon robbie
0: again robbie thanks so
1: much for being on the show today i really appreciate it uh to all of you listening this is a hymnal records production we're just trying to figure it out as we go thanks to my man jima and my guy anthony for helping pull all the strings together we love all of you talk soon